Well, this evening I'd like to, if we can, draw your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we go back to this section of scripture. We, as I said, sort of looked at it together last time from sort of an introductory look of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And um, tonight I'd like to maybe be able to cover, Lord willing, time-wise, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. We'll see if we have time to address both. But uh, before we do that, if I can just draw your attention again back to verse 7 is sort of a statement in general about these manifestations of the Spirit of God in the lives of the believers, God's children. He says there again, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. And again, here's one of our emphasis we talked about last time for the profit of all. So when we talk about these gifts of the Spirit, these supernatural enablings that God gives to children of God to be able to serve Him on this earth, among the church, the body of Christ, and out in the world, and in different ways of ministry, the Bible is very clear that these gifts and these enablements of God's Spirit in our lives, they are works of grace, and they're to be intended to be used for the building up and the profit and the edification of others. They're not something that we are to use for our own profit, uh, whether that's to promote ourselves for attention or personal exaltation or uh, to have some uh, you know, personality idolatry issue go on in our life or for profit in other ways to benefit ourselves or take advantage of people. And it's unfortunate if we're very candid and honest that that kind of thing does go on. Uh, in the name of Christ, but the Bible is very clear. These gifts are intended to be utilized as God works them through our lives so that we might benefit others, that we might serve others. Paul will ultimately say in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 there, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. And again, the emphasis and the order there is important. Pursue love first, And out of a pursuit of love, there should be a great desire, a thirst, a hunger for the spiritual gifts of the Spirit to operate in our lives. Because love always seeks what's best for the other. Love wants to edify and serve other people. Love's not a self-serving thing. Love wants the best for others. And again, uh, here God tells us, pursue love. And if you want to truly love people, God says, then you'll desire the gifts because those gifts will profit and benefit other people. Again, down in verse 11, he also told us that one and the same spirit works all these things. He gives the list we'll look at in verses 8 through 10 there. But he says, one and the same spirit is the one who works all these things, distributing, again, notice, to each one. So again, these manifestations and gifts of the spirit, uh, they're not gender specific. Uh, They're not uh, age-specific, whether that's chronologically or even in relation to spiritual maturity. Uh, In fact, sometimes I think brand new converts and born-again believers who are just passionately in love with the Lord and oblivious even to what the gifts and manifestations of the Spirit are, sometimes are being humbly used by God uh, because they don't even realize and don't even know how to take credit for what they're doing. They're just so humble and pure. God's Spirit's just working through their life in a special way and, and sometimes uh, you know we have to be careful we get older we get mature we get knowledgeable in the word and and so then we want to we want to discern everything and we want to make sure it's from God and sometimes we end up just quenching the beautiful work of God's spirit because of fear or things that we've seen so again each of us God wants to use can use each of us and operate these spiritual gifts through our lives he says verse 11 distributing 
to each one individually as he wills. So important thing to see. Who provides the supernatural enablement of the spiritual gifts? It is the Spirit of God operating through our lives. In other words, we are not talking about natural abilities that people are born with. Now listen, by God's design and creative beauty, many people are naturally gifted. Many of you in this room have various different natural gifts. You have an aptitude. Some people have an aptitude for mechanics or an aptitude for technology or an aptitude to maybe do something artistic or, or musical. And, and God's given us aptitudes and natural gifts. And, and there's nothing wrong with those. God can also redeem those and he can anoint those and use them for for ministry purposes. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, but what's being described here are not natural gifts. These are supernatural enablements that come from the Spirit of God alone, have nothing to do with a person's natural ability, but it's the anointing of God's Spirit upon their life and working through their life that enables them to do something humanly that's not a part of their nature. It's not their natural inclination. It's not their natural capability. It's a supernatural thing. So again, a supernatural gift, a spiritual gift, is a supernatural enablement bestowed by God's Spirit to empower us to do something as God's instrument, to serve in some way on this earth. There are spiritual abilities imparted by Him for service and operated by the anointing and unction of the Spirit to work through our lives. And again, please don't miss in verse 11 as well, who guides and directs how those gifts are exercised and whom they're exercised through. Verse 11 is very clear. It's the Spirit of God, not the Spirit of man who decides these things. It's the Spirit of God who works all these things, distributing individually as he wills as he decides. In other words, the Spirit of God determines who will receive what gifts. The Spirit of God determines uh, who will be used in certain manifestations that are just momentary enablings when the Spirit works in some special way, maybe among the church or in the world. And he also describes here to us that when these gifts are experienced are when the Spirit of God sees they're needed. When the Spirit of God sees a need for such a gift in God to move in this miraculous or supernatural way, he exercises that variation. And as I said last time, let me just say this before we begin to look at the word of knowledge as well. Uh, from what I see from Scripture as well as my own personal experience since I've been a Christian, and, and again, I, I said this last time and I want to say this again, this is my personal conviction that I'm about to share. You are free to disagree and you should study and search these things out for yourself, but it seems to me from Scripture as well as from what I've seen in the experience and operation of the gifts and manifestations of the Spirit that there almost seem to be two different uh, types or kinds of gifts that operate in this sense it seems that there are some manifestations and gifts of the spirit the bible describes that we can have conscious control over as a stewardship from god as a part of a ministry he's given to us that we can operate or exercise in that gifting supernaturally that god has given to us and at our discretion, there is some human control of when that gift is exercised and when it's not. I think Romans chapter 12, the gifts described there fall into that category. For example, teaching. Uh, I can have some control over when I'm going to prepare and share a teaching and, and when I'm not going to prepare and share a teaching. Now, it's still the Spirit of God who's providing the enablement to do such. 
But there is some level of, of human volition involved. For example, the gift of mercy, the gift of ministry, the gift of giving, the gift of leadership. These seem to be gifts that are supernatural empowerings that the Spirit of God dispatches, maybe in connection with certain ministries that he puts us into and just seems to use us with a, a realm of regularity in a particular ministry. Uh, and therefore, there seems to be some level of control when it's exercised and used. It's a stewardship. Again, Paul in Romans 12 there even says regarding those gifts, if you have this gift, he says, let us use them. In other words, God's saying it's a stewardship. So operate in that stewardship and anointing that's upon your life. Now, it seems that there are another type of gifts on the other side, I think that we have absolutely really no control over in the sense that we can't at our own discretion whenever we want just choose to operate in some of these manifestations of the Spirit. And I think this list here in 1 Corinthians 12 describes that category. For example, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, uh, gifts of, of things like healings when the Spirit might bestow a healing through prayer in some miraculous way or uh, perhaps a supernatural measure of faith what we'll talk about in a given moment in a particular situation where it requires supernatural faith to believe God to do something that's not these aren't things that we drum up out of a vast reservoir of faith or this vast reservoir of wisdom or this acquired knowledge where we can just hey you need a word of knowledge I'll give you a word of knowledge or I'm going to have a word of knowledge ministry. You know, I just watched on TV the other day, you know, some guy that, you know, had a, a big crowd and, and, you know, I had the word of knowledge. So let me tell you this about your life and you that about your life and you this about. And, and I think when you understand what these gifts are here, these are gifts that are momentary enablings supernaturally that the spirit dispatches when they're needed. And he may one time choose to operate this gift through one person's life and on another occasion operate it through another person's life. And I think if we were very humbly honest, if a person possessed some of these miraculous revelatory enablements that are described in this particular category here of gifts, I don't think human beings personally could handle that. I think they would become extremely arrogant and I don't understand if people did possess that why it wouldn't be happening all the time. If somebody could heal at will there should not be sick people on this planet. They should be going to hospitals rather than why would they would go to hospitals and just walk through the hospital if they can just heal at will like I can prepare a teaching and share it whenever I want to is what I'm trying to illustrate here but we don't see that. I think these are momentary enablements. The Spirit of God dispatches them to whom he will in a given hour when it's needed and it operates somewhat outside of the control. Maybe perhaps one time this gift or manifestation happens in your life or maybe it periodically happens. But it's not a thing where we in a sense have a control level over but the Spirit sovereignly determines when those things would take place. And again, I don't confess to have all these things wired and fully understood myself. I'm just offering my understanding from what I see biblically and experientially. Uh, but, but let's look at these two gifts or maybe we might just cover the word of uh, wisdom tonight. We'll see. But the first one, look, look at it here, verse 7 going into 8. The manifestation of the Spirit given for each one for the profit of all. And then he begins to give this list here. He says, verse 8, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Now, wisdom, keep in mind, is different than knowledge. 
Knowledge is basically knowing facts or information. That's what knowledge is. Wisdom, on the other hand, refers to proper application of information that you know or proper usage of knowledge. So knowledge is facts and information. Wisdom is proper application and usage of the information and knowledge that you know. And I think it'd be fair to say there are, I would say, three at least different kinds of wisdom that exist uh, in the world. For example, there's just there's natural wisdom. We use refer to that as common sense. Maybe you've met somebody before who has common sense. I'm sure you've met plenty of people before who have no common sense, right? You can be very intelligent and people can be very knowledgeable, right? And have no common sense. Then you can meet somebody else. They don't have a high school degree or diploma. And you think, but man, that guy's got some common sense. He doesn't have anywhere near the PhDs and degrees this guy has after 10 years of study. And he's more successful and sharper and more street. He just has common sense. And common sense is, is what we might call natural wisdom. The idea is just they're just a wise, perceptive person. They think things through. They use common sense understanding. They perceive what might work. What, so that's just sort of natural human wisdom, common sense in thinking and deciding. And then, of course, there was what I would say biblical or spiritual wisdom. And biblical or spiritual wisdom, in essence, is, I think, just a Christian's general natural ability to apply the Bible's truths, the knowledge of the Scripture, which we study and we learn as we walk with Jesus, as you take the knowledge of God and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, as you then apply the Bible's truths to the way that you live your life, that's biblical or spiritual wisdom. You're living wisely because you're taking the knowledge that you know of Scripture and applying it and using it in your life. And then there is certainly something distinctly different. We read here verse 8, which is a supernatural manifestation of the Spirit, which is the word of wisdom, which is, I think, a, again, momentary enablement of the Holy Spirit of God, where he speaks, if you would, a specific word of supernatural or divine wisdom to a person to give them an answer or a solution, maybe in a specific situation. For example, the spirit of wisdom gives God's idea for guidance and direction that's needed in a person's life or a situation here on this earth that a person is connected to or involved in. You know, it's interesting, the first time you find the word wisdom mentioned in the Bible, sometimes it's interesting to go back and find the first time a word shows up in the scripture. It's often referred to as the, the law of first mention and sometimes it gives some real insight to what a word is truly intended to be meant in its truest context. The first time the word wisdom shows up in the Bible, it's Exodus chapter 28 and it speaks of God filling men, it says, with a spirit of wisdom. Filling men with a spirit of wisdom. Again, if you like definitions, this is what I jotted down, I think is a fair definition of the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is a momentary supernatural enabling to speak with divine insight in a given situation or circumstance to provide guidance. Let me read that again. A momentary supernatural enabling to speak with divine insight in a given situation or circumstance to provide guidance. For example, maybe it's resolving a conflict and offering a solution to that conflict. That's an occasion where a word of wisdom may come from God to help resolve a conflict. Maybe it's dealing with a difficult issue. 
yourself or someone that you're counseling or talking to or maybe a situation that arises in a family or within the church and, and, and you're trying to just figure out how do we navigate? This is so complicated. I mean, it's just like such a convoluted web of, I mean, how, this is just real. How do we navigate this? And sometimes a word of wisdom gives that divine insight how to wisely navigate that situation. Maybe it's giving practical advice of what to do in the approach of something. And sometimes I think a word of wisdom comes when there's a need to defend error and to prove the erroneous ideas of a situation or to refute or disable what's wrong. And the simple question all we have to ask is this, who's the one who possesses all wisdom? Well, God does. The Bible teaches that God is the source of wisdom. We read many times in the scripture, God who alone is wise. Now, one commentator I read said this, I quote, he said, this is the unique spiritual ability to speak forth the wisdom of God, especially in an important situation when it's needed. So what the word of wisdom is, is a time when God sees there's a need for wisdom in the church or on the earth or in your family or in a situation and he sees there's a need for wisdom. Humanity's wisdom is failing. Men can't figure it out, but they need a solution or they have to resolve this problem. They have to come to a conclusion or navigate something. So God uses a person. A child of God is an instrument of his to speak forth his wisdom into that situation to help to bring profit to that particular matter. And God puts that wisdom into the mind or the heart of a child of God to then speak it forth as his instrument to convey his wisdom to those who need it. Again, as I said, this is not a vast reservoir of wisdom that we acquire as we become a really wise person that we then just tap into every once in a while and then claim, hey, I have the gift of wisdom. See, because I can tap my wisdom, whatever. That's not what this is referring to. Great if somebody's a wise person. This is a supernatural activity where God gives you wisdom regarding something that you did not have or possess until the very hour in which God saw that it was needed on this earth. It's an anointing of the Spirit to speak a timely word. I guess you could say that's a word of enlightenment. A word of enlightenment. And typically when it operates and happens, everyone is the result of that word of wisdom that's spoken forth Everyone typically is sort of calmed and there's a sense of certainty that this is the heart of God. This is God's will and there's just that sort of sense. It sort of diffuses tension and concern and brings resolution. It's a timely word with a great solution and what's proposed usually then ends up seeming very acceptable to the parties that are involved. It's great advice from God's perspective and it provides guidance of how to handle things. Now, let's look at together some biblical examples maybe of how this word of wisdom would operate on occasion we can see in scripture. If you want to turn with me back to uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, I think we see just in this incredible wisdom being deposited into a spirit of a of a man from God miraculously many of us may know this story first Kings chapter 3 uh, is the occasion where Solomon remember uh, is there and these two mothers come to him and as these two mothers come to him verse 16 first Kings chapter 3 it says two women who were harlots come to the king 
And they stood before him and one woman said, Oh my Lord, this woman and I, we dwell in the same house. And I gave birth while she was in the house. And it happened the third day after I'd given birth that this woman also gave birth. And we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us within the house. So we both gave birth to a child. We're living alone together in the same house. No one else was there as a witness, King. And then this issue arose. It says, verse 19, this woman's son died. So there's two women standing in front of him. This woman's son died because she lay on him. So she rolled over and somehow smothered or killed her baby, she's saying. So she arose and in the middle of the night, she took my son from my side while I was sleeping and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. So she explains this story. In the middle of the night, she rolled over. She smothered her son. She killed him. And so then what she did was, in the, while I was sleeping, she switched out my living child for her dead child and put her dead child in my lap. And, 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 and she says, I woke up in the morning and I realized, this isn't my son. I know what she did. And, and she's calling to her account for it. Now, verse 22 says, then the other woman said, no, no, no. But the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the thing. Sort of sounds like people's court, doesn't it? It's like Judge Judy in the Old Testament here. You know, both parties telling the same story after they both probably said, I swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. You know, and then you have two people telling contradictory stories saying, no, this person actually did this. Well, now the king has a dilemma. They're both saying that the story is true, but that each other are actually the one who was the guilty party. Well, what do you do? How do you resolve that? Nobody was in the house with them. How in the world do you resolve a situation like that? Verse 23, the king said, the one says, this is my son who lives and your son is the dead one. And then the other says, no, but your son is the dead one and my son is the living one. So verse 24, the king said, I'll tell you what, here's how we'll solve this. Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king and the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one <laughs> and half to the other. Hey, I'm, I'm an equitable king. Bring in a sword. Take that child, cut it in half, and give half to both women. Nobody can say I'm an impartial king, and they'll walk out of here. But again, this was supernatural wisdom, because look what happens. It says, verse 26, Then the woman whose son was living, the genuine, honest woman who was being sincere in her story, she spoke up to the king and yearned with compassion for her son, though she knew that was her son living, and said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child. By no means kill him. But the other said, No, no, no. Let neither be mine nor yours. Divide him in half. Do what he said. Cut the kid in half and send us each home with half of a dead child. So the king answered and said, Give that first woman the living child and by no means kill him, for she's the mother. That's incredibly wise. Because the king knew that a mother's compassion would say, You know what? I, let my child live. Even if somebody else has to take my child, she was concerned about her child's life as a genuine mother 
and he knew the nature. And see, so God just gives this supernatural wisdom, this incredible resolution to a dilemma and a problem. I think it's a great example of that. I think a New Testament time, we see this operating in the humanity in the life of Jesus. For example, John chapter 8. Remember when the woman was brought to Jesus, caught in the act of adultery? And they bring her before Jesus and they throw her down at Jesus' feet and they say, Teacher, the law says that if a woman commits adultery, a man commits adultery. Of course, they didn't bring the guilty man because, you know, they were just trying to trap him. But they, they throw her down. They say, the, the law says to stone her. She's to be stoned. To, it's a capital crime. What do you say? Now, on account of the strict Mosaic law, that was a catch-22 because the law did say adultery was a capital crime. According to the law, if the law was to be executed and carried out, she should have been stoned to death. They were accurate from the perspective of observing the law. So what does Jesus do? Oh, no, forget the law. We disregard it because he felt compassionate. He knew this was just a whole scam to try and you know, catch him in his words. It had nothing to do with the woman. It was a whole setup probably for the poor woman. But Jesus, with supernatural wisdom in that moment, says, you know what? You're right. You're right. She deserves to be executed. So here's how we'll do this. Whoever of you who brought her to me has no sin, you start the stone throwing. You start the execution. And what happens? One by one, they just start dropping their stones. And they're baffled. They're caught in their own trap. And they walk away. And then Jesus deals with her compassionately. Neither do I condemn. The only one that could condemn her was Jesus. And he chose not to condemn her. And he said, neither do I condemn you. But go and sin no more. If you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 20, I think this is another example. We see this kind of happening through Jesus' life. And then we'll look at uh, two examples in the book of Acts where we see it happening in the early church. Luke chapter 20, Jesus is being tested, remember, regarding the whole tax issue by the religious leaders and the Herodians. They were always trying to catch Jesus for how his teachings and kingdom principles seemed at times to potentially run in conflict to political things and the religious structure of the day and jesus was was always you know befuddling them is that a real word okay just checking <laughs> it came out i didn't think it was afterwards he, he was always making them look dumb how's that uh, by they would try and trap him in his words and yet jesus would always leave them in a way whereby his wisdom would just astound and this i think is one of the greatest examples again it's another catch-22 situation where momentary supernatural wisdom floods forth from the mouth of Christ and it resolves the issue for everyone present in the situation. It says Luke 20, verse 20, this is the religious leaders, the Herodians, they watched Jesus and they sent spies who pretended uh, to be righteous. And they come to Jesus, notice, to seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. Again, so this is a trap. Clearly told. It's just a trap. I know you've never had anyone try and trap you in your words before. But, but it happened to Jesus on occasion. Where they actually were just trying to trap him in his words. Verse 21. They, they asked him saying, Teacher, we know that you teach rightly. And you don't show personal favoritism. Butter up, butter up. Be careful when that happens. But you teach the way of God in truth. So tell us, Mr. Truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, 
That's a major catch-22, and everybody in the circle there, all the people standing by, are all perplexed. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, keep in mind, if Jesus said, yes, you should pay taxes, and just answered yes, all of the Jews who hated the Roman government and the Roman oppression and occupation would instantly lose favor toward following Jesus and say, great, you're, you're a supporter of Rome. And he would instantly turn away his opportunity to minister to so many of the Jews. And they knew that. So he also is facing the issue, if he says, no, don't pay taxes, he'd make the Jews happy. But then he could be arrested for starting an insurrection and disobeying the civil government and leading a revolt by saying we shouldn't pay taxes to the Roman government who has authority over us. So it's one of those, you know, you're, 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 you're trapped if you do and you're trapped if you don't. He's in a catch-22. How do you answer a question like Yes is going to cause problems. No is going to cause problems. What does Jesus do? Well, with incredible wisdom, it says he perceived their craftiness and said, why do you test me? Show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription does it have? They answered, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and the things, uh, and to God the things that are God's. And verse 26, But they could not catch him in his words in the presence of the people. And they marveled at his answer and were struck silent. So he doesn't answer yes or no. Instead he says... That's a good question. I'll tell you what, give me a coin. It's a coin. He says, whose image is on this coin? Well, that's Caesar's image. Well, okay, I guess what, what bears Caesar's image, we should give to Caesar because he created it and bears his image. So I guess if he created it and his image is on it, it belongs to him. And he says, but at the same time, let us render to God the things that are God's. Well, what and who bears God's image? We do. Humanity, we're created in the image of God. So Jesus just offers this incredibly wise response. He doesn't have to answer yes or no. It pacifies, it diffuses a tense situation and brings resolution as he speaks wisdom in an incredible way in that moment. Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 6. We see this operating in the early church through the lives of the apostles. Uh, for example, Acts chapter 6 is part of the early days of the church. And here in the early church, as the church was beginning to grow, it was in an early stage. Chapter 6 of Acts, verse 1, says, In those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose, can you imagine this in the church, a complaint? Come on, this must, couldn't possibly, it must be, I guess that's what the, what the Greek really means. There arose a complaint in the church against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. So the, the, the Greek culture was upset with the Jewish culture in the church. Why? Because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And whether they were genuinely being neglected or whether it was perceived that they were being neglected, that's neither here nor there. That's still how issues and complaints and disputes and misunderstandings happen. In the same way that people in the church have misunderstandings of things they see and hear and observe. And so then we get upset and become critical and complain towards one another or complain regarding how things are happening happening or what's taking place just typical it's humanity so there's this tension that's arose between these two parties in the church and the church is risking what a division 
a schism. This was becoming a real problem. There was tension among the relationships because of strong views and perspectives and feelings and, and people had different opinions about things. So what happens? It says the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and they said, this was just their response and I think this was sort of the word of wisdom coming to pass to diffuse and bring resolution to this problem. They simply said, the leadership, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Again, it's not that they were above doing that. They just said that wouldn't be the preferred thing if we begin to neglect the teaching of the word uh, to feed physical food and stop feeding people spiritually. Therefore, here's their proposal. Why don't you seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom whom we might appoint over this business to oversee the distribution of food to widows, the sort of uh, a, a helpful welfare type thing that was helping out the, the widows and some of those in church who were struggling at the time. But we will continue to give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And look at verse 5. I think this is the clear indication. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Now let me tell you something. When you can make a decision and our church leadership can make a decision about a situation, especially when it becomes a tense, problematic situation, and everybody's pleased with the decision, something supernatural is going on. Do you understand what I'm saying? It pleased the whole multitude. The church was growing. It was increasing. It was having growing pains. There was potential schism problems, different opinions, different perspectives. People had their right, their idea, and, and, and they proposed, look, here's, here's what we think. We're going to propose a thought. Why don't we stay committed to feeding and nourishing people spiritually? And how about we set up uh, some, some deacons, some servants, seven men who have a good reputation, who are full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit, and we'll let them have delegation to oversee this so it gets proper attention, and, and, and it will be addressed. And everybody said, okay, that's a great idea. And instantly everyone is pleased. Situation was diffused. Wisdom was imparted that helped resolve a situation and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the spirit, Philip, Procorus, Nicanor, Timonus, or Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they prayed, they laid hands on them, and the word of God, notice, spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and great many of the priests came to faith. Now take notice as well. We don't pick this up often, but verse 5, those are all, guess what they are? Greek names. So see, here's the word of wisdom. How about we select seven men? And, and here's a really great idea. Since the Greeks and the Hellenists are the ones who are complaining because they feel they're being taken advantage of and overlooked, how about we use Greek Hellenist men who meet these qualifications to address the problem that the Greek Hellenist people are concerned about? And guess what? The Greek Hellenist people thought, yeah, that's right. We want some of ours in office. Made them feel good. That's probably why they were pleased. Put our party in office. And, and again, it just shows you the wisdom of God flowing through this situation because it was spoken in a way that brought incredible resolution. One other place, let's look at Acts chapter 15. This was another time I think the word of wisdom was deposited from God into the mind of a child of God and spoken to the people of God that brought the help that was needed 
in a tense situation. Acts chapter 15 was the situation in the early church where some Judaizers came to the church there. Uh, men from Judea, it says, came down there uh, to the church and began to say that people had to live according to the custom of Moses, the law, in order to be saved. In essence, they were saying, you can't just come to Christ by grace alone and through faith. You have to first become a Jew. Yes, you can be saved through Jesus, but you have to first become a Jew. Then after you become a Jew, you can then become a completed Jew and you can accept Christ for salvation. Well, that was contradictory to the doctrine of the gospel of grace. That would have been heretical to bring into the church. But there was this dispute arose over doctrine. This was a critical issue in the early church, not just now a personality conflict, this was establishment of sound doctrine that would affect the entire New Testament church going forward historically. So as this begins to happen, it says that there began to be a great tension among the people there. Notice verse 2 of Acts 15, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that they should go up to Jerusalem about this question. So they now go up to Jerusalem. They have a church council in a sense to sort this out. The leadership gathers together at this council at Jerusalem. There's a great tension over this issue and, and how to handle Gentiles getting saved. And as they come together, verse 6 says, the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. So that was the key, the leadership. It wasn't a democratic vote. The leadership comes together to work through a situation and they're discussing it and praying and talking through it to try and come to God's heart and conclusion. Verse 7, and when Peter had been, there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said, men and brethren, you know that God a while ago chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, Peter said, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were even able to bear? But we believe, Peter said, verse 11, that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Totally accurate what Peter said, but it still didn't solve the issue. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Great testimony. True things said, but it still didn't resolve the issue. This is where the word of wisdom comes. Then James speaks up and God gives him a word of wisdom that brings resolution throughout the rest of the chapter. After they'd become silent, James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon's declared how God first visited the Gentiles to take them out and with the words of the prophets agree just as it is written and then he quotes some scripture to validate that. Verse 18, known to God from eternity are all his works and here's the word of wisdom. Verse 19, therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every sitting being read in the Sabbath, synagogues every Sabbath. Verse 22, look at the word again. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders, and by golly, the whole church 
to send men as representatives to then communicate, okay, that's it. We can be content with that. Let's not lay this yoke on them, which is unsound New Testament doctrine, but let's ask at the same time the Gentile people who are getting saved and coming in to a union in the family of God with Jewish people who are very sensitive to certain things out of love that the Gentile people would at least respect the fact that they would observe a few things, that they would restrain themselves from things that have been uh, polluted by idols and sexual morality and things strangled from blood. Why those few simple restrictions? So that they wouldn't stumble their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. It wasn't telling them they had to go through all the customs and circumcision, but, but it was, look, can, can you at least in love observe these few simple restrictions so that you can dwell together in harmony without having to go to extremes to either end. And they share this, and it is such a wise resolution. It says they go forth and share, and verse 28 tells us, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden than these necessary things. And then they just describe exactly what they would resolve. But again, James speaks this word, and it is such a wise resolution, it diffuses the tension. It gives the answer to the problem that they can't solve. It is the wisdom of God imparted from his throne down onto the earth among a problematic situation in the church. And it solves a problem. It gives guidance of how to approach something that human beings couldn't figure out on their own. They just couldn't resolve it on their own. But God says, I know you could because you don't have enough wisdom. Your, your little brains are too foolish sometimes. So I'm going to give you my wisdom supernaturally. And he puts it into the mouth of one of his servants, James, who speaks forth in the midst of that leadership meeting and brings resolution. You know, this gift, when it's in operation, typically, as you see here, it just flows very naturally. You know, many times, I've said this before, and I firmly hold this conviction, that, that God often works supernaturally in very natural ways. You know, so often when a word of wisdom comes forth from the Spirit of God, many times it just happens, as you can see, in the midst of a conversation. A lot of times people are having conversations. Sometimes you've probably had conversations with people here, and you perhaps have spoken just a word of counsel or help, of enlightenment, and perhaps the word of wisdom came forth from you and helped another person. Oh, that's it. I've been praying about that and thinking about that. And, and you say three sentences, and they go, what? That's it? That's the answer I was looking for. That's so clear. And there's a sense of that's God's will. And the word of wisdom often just comes in this very natural way where it helps someone to have resolution or to navigate their situation. I think it can happen in a counseling situation when someone's seeking direction or, again, trying to resolve maybe a genuine problem where the Lord in just this very natural way just imparts wisdom to a person who can speak on his behalf as a voice to communicate something that helps diffuse a problem or bring a solution or help resolve a complicated and convoluted matter. And it just happens so naturally, just in a very supernaturally natural way. Again, when the word of wisdom is happening, when the word of knowledge, which time's not going to allow us to discuss tonight, takes place... 
please understand, it does not mean that when these manifestations of the Spirit are happening, that all of a sudden a, a person's you know, voice and disposition needs to change because now the, the manifestation of the Spirit is coming forth from my life. And, and, and all of a sudden as if some... No, I, I don't see that. That doesn't mean all of a sudden you need to, or even to announce, you know, thus saith the Lord. I don't see any of that. It just, spoken forth in a conversation, in a meeting, just a word that comes from God that is spoken forth through the mouth of a person. It is God giving you his word. And when this happens, listen, if it's truly of the Lord, you just speak it forth confidently, You speak it forth with a sense of assurance. And if it is truly divine, God will confirm the authenticity by what unfolds afterwards. There'll be a diffusing of the problem. There'll be peace among everyone involved. There'll be a solution or a resolution to the situation. Various times this happens. Again, I don't think it's even noticed more often than not. It's not something with a glam, glare, flare. All of a sudden, again, the gifts of the Spirit are not to profit and glorify a person. There's something that God gives when it's needed. And he gives it through whom he wills, when he wills, and how he wills. I think there are times when this can take place in the midst of a teaching. There are times when just as I've prepared a message or as I'm teaching in the midst of teaching things I haven't prepared, the Spirit of God puts something on my heart or mind, I say it, and I have no idea what's going on in your life or your situation. And in three sentences out of something I said, all of a sudden, God gives you the resolution to something that you couldn't fit. You think, well, that, oh, I never thought of it that way. Well, that's so clear. That's, and all of a sudden, God solves a problem or he gives guidance in a certain matter in just a really direct and simple way. I, I think this happens many times. It's a gift that operates among leadership meetings as the council there in Jerusalem. As I've sat in elders' meetings and prayed together with you know, leadership and you're trying to think through something and then in the midst of it, as you're just praying and talking through, all of a sudden, God just puts something on someone's heart. It's like, wait, wait, wait something's coming. Something's coming. Wait a minute, it's coming. No, it just, it just comes forth. It's spoken and it's a divine work of God where he puts his wisdom into the mind of a person that allows his wisdom to be conveyed verbally to those on earth who need it. And again, these gifts, so beautiful, they're given for the profit of all, and and they are things, listen, that we have to realize are available for us today. Hey, do you ever need wisdom in your life? Do you ever need wisdom on a regular basis? Praise God that among the body of Christ, among Christians who are filled with the Spirit of God and who can be conduits and vessels of the Spirit of God, that God can impart wisdom into the spirit of a person. Again, it's not their natural wisdom, but he can give someone supernatural wisdom that can help and can profit you. Praise God that as you just make yourself available, maybe to compassionately listen to somebody or talk to someone, or you're in a tense situation at work or in your family that sometimes God can just impart in a moment, miraculously, just the wisdom that's needed to diffuse a problem or to give solution to a situation that can't be resolved or to indicate how to navigate and handle something. What a glorious, glorious thing. These manifestations of God's Spirit.